This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. friends. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here and uh, I am a sexaholic, sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Welcome to episode 55. It's the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps of recovery. This episode is going to conclude our discussion on step six. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. We've talked about our defects of character, and we've talked about being entirely ready. Today, I want to share with you just two ways that you can work this step in your life. Okay, now, before we jump into that, I had a recent experience that I would like to share with you today. I do this occasionally, and uh, it just helps me to, to share with you, and I appreciate your comments and thoughts too. But a number of months ago, I got a text from one of the women that I sponsor, She invited me to participate in a triathlon with her just this past August. This was a special triathlon because it was going to take place on her one-year sobriety anniversary. And for this amazing woman, who I totally admire, triathlons had been something she had participated in before addiction kind of took over her life. I don't know about you, but when I first started recovery, there were big things in my life that I had to give up. I had to sacrifice. Some of these things I did willingly. Others I did very reluctantly, but I did it because that is what it took to stay sober. Staying sober required me to peel back any behavior, and I'm just going to repeat that, peel back any behavior that caused me to act out, anyone. The goal was to peel back those behaviors that would take me down the road of my addictive cycle. Now, here is probably kind of maybe a trite example. When I first started recovery, I had to stop putting lotion on my super dry skin. I know that sounds a little lame, but why did I have to do that? Because I couldn't do it without acting out. Maybe not right at that moment, but that much touch and rubbing would start a lust and addictive cycle that would end in acting out. One of the sacrifices I made to stay sober in the beginning was soft skin. It might seem like a trite or a small example, but it was a really big deal for me. A really big deal. I have eczema, so like not being able to put lotion on has been a big de- was a big deal. Now, eventually, that wasn't a problem. I could handle lotion without a second thought. It's fine now, actually. But for a while, it was a sacrifice I made. To people who have never experienced addiction or the craziness that addictive cycles bring into our lives, this may sound totally ridiculous. If you haven't experienced that addictive compulsion to do something, you might hear my experience with lotion and think, you are insane, Amy. And that's okay. Because you know what? I am insane. I have an addiction. I've accepted that. In the area of lust and sexual behavior, I am insane. And it's totally okay. If you've never experienced those fuzzy blank spots in your life or those almost robotic impulses to act on something, then maybe this doesn't make sense to you. But for those of us that have, I bet you're nodding your head and laughing with me. Not at me, right? Just with me, right? There are other sacrifices, some bigger than others. I changed jobs. I quit teaching. I quit working with teenagers. I stopped attending car racing events. 
that was really hard for me. I love, 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 love car racing events. I had to stop listening to certain bands. I had to stop watching certain TV shows. I made sacrifices. It was part of going to any lengths to get sober. And those sacrifices paid off. They helped me see and understand my addictive cycle and peeling them back helped me learn to put boulders in my neural pathways to create new habits, new paths, new ideas, new coping mechanisms, new patterns, healthy ones, ones that didn't end in acting out. And I've learned the longer I stay in recovery, the amazing magic that happens in recovery that I call reclaiming. Reclamation. One of the definitions of reclamation, reclaiming, right, from dictionary.com, is bringing back to a preferable manner of living, sound principles or ideas. I love that idea. I have found that as I get sober and I started to untangle some of the lust and the addictive cycles in my life, I get to reclaim pieces of my life. I get to bring them back to a preferable manner of living based on sound principles and ideas. Now, I was eventually able to reclaim soft skin. When I'm living sober, I can put lotion on my skin, even enjoy it, and not get lost in an addictive cycle that creates insanity in my life. And there are other things I've been able to reclaim. Teaching, attending car racing events. I've been to two since I've been sober. Actually, I've been to more than that. I've been to four since I've been sober, and they're all awesome. Though there are some bands I still cannot listen to, um, and there are some TV shows that I still are on the sacrifice list, and you know what? That's totally okay. I'm not resentful or upset about it because I feel like it's a very small price to pay for me to stay sober. Very small price to pay. So I had another one of these moments recently with this triathlon. Let's circle back to the triathlon. My sponsee had decided to participate in this triathlon as a way of reclaiming this portion of her life. It was to take place on her one-year sobriety anniversary, and she wanted to compete sober. Unfortunately, she suffered an injury a few months before the race and was thinking she was going to drop out. However, rather than drop out, she asked me and another of her recovery friends to participate and she turned it into a relay team. I was asked to do the swim portion of the race. Now, at one time in my life, I swam on a swim team and I loved every minute of it. I love the water. I've always loved the water. I've always loved swimming. In fact, one of the very few nicknames I've ever had is Fishy Girl. I love to swim. However, I had not been in a pool to compete or swim laps for years, decades probably. I was hesitant to commit, but I finally did. My first time in the pool was hard. It took me just over 30 minutes to swim the required distance, and I had to walk one of the laps. I was so tired, and my body did not want to cooperate with me. After some weeks of swimming, I did it. I swam in a triathlon. It's crazy, guys. I can't even believe that I did that. Not only that, my time was 13 minutes and three seconds. Not gold medal standards or even close, but that's still less than half my original time. And I was still pretty proud of myself. First of all, that I committed, that I trained, and then I actually followed through and competed. I share this with you because it has been a huge source of hope for me in my life. I never, ever thought I would swim laps again. I never, ever thought I'd be able to compete in anything, even though I was always fascinated with that idea, and I've always kind of wanted to. And this year, not only did I train and compete, I've kept swimming. I love it. I go three times a week, and I enjoy it so much. I feel like it's something I've reclaimed in my life in a very healthy way. 
My sponsee wanted to reclaim something for her life in a healthy, non-addictive way. And she gave me the great gift of helping me do the very same thing. We make sacrifices to get sober and it's good. It's really good. We strip back the non-essentials and we learn how to live a truly sober lifestyle. We learn new tools, new thinking patterns, new processes. And then when we are ready, we can look for opportunities to reclaim pieces of our lives that we miss. I believe our higher power helps with that as well, giving us opportunities to reclaim these pieces of our life that are important to us. Whether that is relationships with people, events that we want to attend, things we want to do, or music we want to listen to, we make the sacrifices. And as long as we continue forward in our recovery, the opportunities will present themselves for us to reclaim the pieces that make us whole. Not everything, and that's fine, but I promise you that as you go forward in recovery, you'll have those opportunities to reclaim those pieces that fill you up, that make you whole. It's happened for me, and I know it can happen for you as well. So I know it's kind of a long story, but I just wanted to share it as an example of hope, of change, of things that happen in our lives as we move forward in recovery. A few quick announcements before we jump into step six. Registration has begun for our upcoming event in January. Engaged in the struggle. That's the name of our event. It's the theme of Worth Recovery event in Salt Lake City on January 21st, 2017. I know that seems a ways away, but it's really not. Just four short months. We already have a number of women registered, so don't delay too long. Get your ticket now. Early bird pricing is still available up until December 1st. It's $99. I'm so excited about our lineup, the, f- the three women that we have coming to speak to you. You can find all of the details on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. Also, before we move forward, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies are amazing. Thank you so, so much for continuing to support the Worth Recovery podcast with your small monthly contributions that help to keep this podcast free. Have you been enjoying what you're learning? Are you a regular listener? Has the podcast helped you even just a little bit? Do you think maybe it's worth 50 cents? Then get online, get on the website and become a Worth Warrior. There are special perks and discounts for our Worth Recovery events. You can join the Worth Warriors for as little as $4 a month. That's less than 50 cents an episode. Get on the website, look for the Worth Warriors logo and join the club. www.worthrecovery.com Okay, now let's get into step six. I feel like we've been talking already for a while. So step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Now, in episode 51, we discussed our character defects and how they manifest in our lives. We also discussed the asset behind each defect. We continued that discussion in episode 53 when we discussed being entirely ready and moving into a state of willingness. I explained how everything we do, every action, every thought provides something for us, some kind of hit, some kind of high, or we wouldn't do it. What it provides may not be positive, and we may not even really be conscious of it, but it provides something for us. We must become aware of what that is and be willing to let it go. Now today in episode 55, I want to discuss with you how we actually work this step in our lives. What can we do to become aware of our character defects and what steps can we take to be entirely ready to have them removed? Of course, as I've always said, there is no wrong way to work this step, ladies, except to not work it. For me, working this step is really twofold. 
I must be able to identify my character defects, and then, in order to be ready for them to be removed, I must have a vision of life without the defect. So I'm going to give you two different ideas on how you can work this step in your life, okay? This first idea, this first um, option, starts with identifying our character defects. Now, most of us can make a list of the things we don't like about ourselves. We're probably aware of them. I could make a massive list without really going to too much effort. In fact, I'm so good at this that it can sometimes be overwhelming. And rather than have the strength to actually work on them or surrender them, I just shut down. I'm so broken, I say, or I'll never get better, or I've tried this, or with so many defects, why am I even going to try? One of the things I've learned in recovery is the concept of the top plate. You'll hear things like, this is a top plate meeting, and there are usually there's usually a specific format for how that meeting is sequenced. I'm not going to go into all those specific details today or that kind of stuff. I want to tell you what I think of when I hear a top plate. When I think of top plate, I think of the massive stack of dishes we always had at our house. With six kids and two adults eating three, sometimes more, meals a day, we always had a lot of dishes, a lot of dishes, right? Enough so that we didn't have to wash them between meals. So that's a lot of dishes. Now, it's a good thing that my mom loves dishes. She loves pretty ones, red ones, flowery ones, big ones, little ones, odd shapes. She just loves dishes. There were times when I was setting the table that specific kids wanted specific dishes. We were kind of brats like that. Uh, Yeah, I always wanted the orange one because orange is my favorite color. Seriously, I love orange. But anyway, back to the topic here. Sometimes the orange plate was near the bottom and I would dig it out. I'm guilty of doing that even now. Sometimes as an adult, I dig out the orange plate. I love orange. Anyway, my mom would get mad and just say, use the top plate, Amy. Use the top plate. That is what I think of when I think of top plate. Many times there are things right in front of us on the top of the dish stack that will work or that need to be worked on, and yet we avoid them. We distract ourselves from them or we look for the orange plate, the perfect orange plate. When I think of the top plate character defects, I think of the ones right in front of me, the ones I'm aware of, the one that is first in the stack, the one that I can work on right now right? Instead of looking for that list, instead of making a big massive list, instead of trying to find the perfect character defect to start with, we just start with what's in front of us. We start with the top plate. We use the top plate. We use the top plate. We start with that one and we work for it. We start from the top and usually we get a list of about five or ten character defects that you're dealing with. Use a piece of paper and make sure you got some room to explore things with this piece of paper. Use something and list them. Once listed, we want to explore each one just a little bit. The first question we want to ask ourselves is, how does this character defect manifest in my life? How does it show up? How does it manifest? What does it look like in my life? Think about a few things. Think about which people this defect usually affects. If you're impatient, does it affect your kids or your family most? Maybe your coworkers? What, who does it affect? Think about what situations in life bring out this character defect. Take some time and reflect about it. How does this character defect manifest itself in my life? So the first thing you did was list it. The second thing you did was think about how it manifests. And you reflected a little bit on that and wrote maybe some scenarios and situations. Now the third thing you're going to do is you're going to think about what would life be like without this character defect? Have you ever thought about that? What would your life be like if this defect wasn't there anymore? Be specific. Be as specific as you can. What would your life look like without this defect? What would your relationships look like? 
What would your day look like? What would change about your work situation? What would your life look like if you no longer acted on this character defect? So that's our third thing. Okay, now last, the last thing we're going to do, we want to look, again, we're trying to get ready to have this defect removed from us. And so we want to look at replacement attitudes and spiritual principles that that are needed to make those desired changes we want in our lives. In order to be entirely ready for God to remove this defect of character, we have to know how to act instead. We do that by having an idea of what to do when those situations present themselves. So we plan. We plan ahead of time. So we look at some of the ideas of what we want to do or some of the principles and attitudes that we could use instead of our character defects in those situations or in those relationships. Okay, so does that process make sense? First, we list the defect. Second, we look at how that defect manifests itself in our lives. We look at the relationships it affects, the behaviors that happen, the issues that it creates for us. Third, we envision our life without that defect. We do it in specifics. What would change? How would things change? What would it be like? And then fourth, last, we look at the assets, the spiritual principles that we need in order to make those changes in our lives. Now, let me just give you a practical example from my own experience. One of my character defects is that of pride. I think I'm pretty smart. I think I know how to do things the right way, right? My way is the right way. Sometimes I get a little full of myself and it kind of gets carried away. One of the symptoms that pride has taken over in my life is when I quit listening. If I'm in a conversation and I quit listening, I start tuning out, I start getting distracted. It's like I've made a mental note that says, eh, I'm better than you. You're doing it wrong. I'm doing it right. And I'm not going to, I'm going to quit listening to what you have to say. It happened this week for me at work. As I'm working to grow worth recovery in the podcast, I still work to make ends meet. I teach college part-time. I'm teaching in a new format this semester at school. And you know what? I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it, the format of the class at all. I love the class content. I love my students. But the format, the structure that I'm required to use isn't really working for me. So I reached out to some other people about it. As they were explaining how they loved this format and how they were making it work, I tuned out. I started tuning out. Along with the tuning out, that's how I know pride is taking over. It's usually, I usually have a long line of judgments happening in my head. I say things like, and just a reminder, this is in my head. I don't say these things out loud. I say things like, of course you like this structure. Your pass rate is like half of what mine is. Or I say things like, well, of course you like this structure because you're an enabler and you treat the students like middle school kids, not adults. So it doesn't matter if those things are true or not, which they are true. Does that maybe be pri- being prideful? Yeah, probably. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter if those things are true or not. The fact that I'm thinking them means that I'm being prideful. So I would write... If I was following this format, I would write pride for my character defects. How it manifests. I wrote, stop listening to others. Judge others. Think I'm better than others. If it continues, I shut people down and I shut them out. I start playing God, thinking that I know better. It affects my relationships with my coworkers, my students, my friends, my sponsees, my family. It isolates me because I'm not open to listening to other people. It's not good, guys. It's not good at all. In fact, if I let it get out of control, it leads to objectification because I don't see people as people anymore. I see them as objects, as pawns, as obstacles. It can create a lot of problems for me. That would be the second part on my list, right? So pride, I list it, that's number one. How it manifests, number two, that's what I would write. 
And then number three, what I wrote for the next part is what would my life look like without pride? So I wrote, I would listen to people. People would want to be with me and not feel judged. I would compare less and connect more. I would be open for feedback. I would allow others to help me and see all sides of me. I wouldn't try to manage my image so much. I would be more honest about things. I would see people for people with unique stories, experiences, and lives, and be willing and wanting to engage with them. That's what I wrote for what would my life look like without pride. That's how I want to live all the time. I have moments. I sometimes even have days, I would say. But I want to live like that more. I want to be like that all of the time. Now, the last part, what spiritual principles or assets do I need to cultivate to have my life look like this, right? What do I need to do instead of being prideful? So the big four that I thought of right off the bat were patience, humility, love, and honesty. If I could cultivate and develop those four principles and assets in my life, I would be a lot less tempted to be prideful. Now, that's it. You do it for all of your identified character defects. This gives you something to work on and work for as you become entirely ready. And then in the next step, you actually ask your higher power to remove these defects. Completing this exercise really helps you see how your life is riddled with places where these defects show up. And more importantly, what your life could be like if you gave them up and let God remove them. Now, pride is a hard thing for me to give up because I get something out of it. It makes me feel better, but it makes me feel better at someone else's expense and I'm not okay with that anymore. And so I'm working to be less prideful, to be more humble, have more patience, more love, and more honesty. And I ask God for that help every day. Now, that's just one way you can work this step. Another great way, I've done this with several women, another great way to look at this step in your life is to look at the needs underlying the character defects. So let me explain that a little bit more. As we discussed last time, character defects do something for us. Every action or thought that we have does something for us. We might not be aware of the little hit or the high or the little bottom, maybe it's not a high, maybe it's a bottom, that we get from this character defect, but we get something. Underlying that hit we get is a need. It's a need that we have. Maybe I'm prideful as a way to hide or mask my insecurity. So my need there would be validation. Maybe I'm prideful as a way to show off. My need here is to be seen and acknowledged. And I do that by showing off how smart I am. Maybe I'm prideful in putting others down and passing judgment. My need there might be to exert some control by making others feel bad about themselves and help them succumb to my way of thinking or the way that I want to do things. There is a need we are trying to fill or meet every time we act on our character defects. I've just learned to meet those needs in unhealthy ways, in ways that are damaging both for me and for others. So another way I've worked this step is by looking at the needs behind the action. So again, I make a list. I make a list of some of the ways that I act on these character defects. So maybe I start with pride and then I list some scenarios and ways that I act on them like I did earlier. I show off. I put others down. I hide my insecurities. And then behind each of those ways that I act on it, I look for the need. What need was I trying to get met? What was the real intent of what I was doing? 
As I pull back each of those situations, I'm left with a list of needs that are not getting met in healthy ways. That is not good. I need to get my needs met. That's my job. It's my job to get my needs met. I've been doing that in very unhealthy ways. Now, once I've identified those needs, I can examine each one and I can look for healthy ways to meet that need. How could I find some validation without being prideful? How could I meet the need to be seen or acknowledged without resorting to prideful showing off? How can I more effectively surrender my desire to control things so that I don't use prideful put downs towards others? I look at each need and I find ways to meet those needs, healthy ways, ways that don't involve my character defects. From this perspective, we start to see character defects as needs gone unmet and ultimately gone awry. This has been really helpful for me in my life. I started to see that I wasn't a horrible person. I had just learned some ways to get my needs met that really weren't healthy. At one point in time, they served a purpose, but now they aren't. They aren't getting me and where I want to be. And so when we do this, we start to really examine those needs and find out where we need to put some more of our work. Things start to change in our lives for the better. We start practicing healthy ways to take care of ourselves and get our needs met. Because ladies, we all have needs. We all have the need to feel secure, to feel validated, to be seen. Those are normal needs. That's fine. We just need to develop healthy ways of getting them met. The main point and principle here is to become entirely ready for the God of our understanding to remove these defects of character. As we begin to see how these defects are playing out in our lives, the problems they are causing and the cost of acting on them, we get to the point where we don't want them anymore. It's like the essay white book says, page 115, quote, if we're on the right road, there inevitably comes a time when we cry out to God, I'm tired of this defect. I want to be free of it. Please take it away. The recurring distress it causes us, not to mention others, gets progressively more acute until it outweighs whatever pleasure or false support it was providing. This humbling realization, this moment of clarity usually illumines one defect at a time. It is the essence of step six and seven, close quote. As we become ready in step six, we start to really see the toll these defects takes on us in our lives. With that humbling illumination, we bring an attitude of humility with us into step seven. And that is where we'll pick up next time in this series of the 12 steps, step seven. Now, as always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, no matter how many character defects you feel like you have, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff.
The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.